Am I glad that was not live just now? Oh my gosh, I was singing Elton John. Uh, I was singing Elton John, and uh, man, it was it was uh, it was wild. Let me see, get this out of the way here. Were you singing Elton John or were you just singing the Lion King? I was singing Lion King. Elton John wrote that Lion King song. You were singing the Warthog song. I can see what's happening. (laughs) What? They haven't got a clue. Who? Hello, I'm Ernesto Lanise. I'm Angie. And uh, I like books. Me too. And so we... We encourage reading of books. I think this is square. I think this is bigger than it's supposed. It's, it's hold on. Can I do this? Does that go bigger? Ah, oh, it got smaller. Goes... <laughs> Expand. Okay. Okay. So. Yeah, you have the, you're, you're, there you go. Okay. Sorry. It's okay. You're just you're. Okay. Okay. Eating the frame. I'm eating the frame up. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, dude! Happy birthday. Um, so we come on here um, whenever it says we come on here, and we talk about books. We read a book every month with our church, uh, Fun City Church. Where I'm, I'm, you know, uh, I'm the pastor of this community of faith, and we've been reading a new book this month called "The Reason for God" by Timothy Keller. Uh, Timothy Keller, um, we didn't plan this. We scheduled this man. Beginning of the year, or end of last year, yeah. And Timothy Keller passed away just about a month ago. And his funeral service, his memorial service, was literally two days ago. Mm. And I've not watched the service yet, but people said it was a, that the memorial service pointed to Jesus. Mm. And that is a beautiful thing. Sometimes funerals are really just, um, they're often they're hagiographies. They're like, this guy was the greatest person. So often we, either, we glorify the person who died or we, you know, get drunk or something. I don't people do weird people I've been to some crazy funerals in my yeah. time. But I guess Timothy Keller's funeral made much of Jesus. And that's who Timothy Keller is. Timothy Keller, the writer of this book, Reason for God, he is a church planner in New York City. We have been friends of Keller, not friends for real. Followers. We've been followers, we've been fans, yeah. we've been blessed by his ministry for a long time. Timothy Keller is a best-selling author now, but he wasn't always that. Before he had books on shelves in Borders, uh, Barnes and Nobles, um, he was a church planner at Redeemer in New York City, and his church actually reached out to. Um, he actually reached unbelieving professionals, mm-hmm. people who like had no like, like God was lame to them. And he reached, he actually, in New York City, one of those liberal cities, progressive cities in the country, they saw people turn to Jesus. And so when we went to India, we had heard about the church in New York doing great work among, um, among the lost. And so we reached out and he sent us this, this guide, this church planning guide. A handbook. It was a handbook. And this thing was bound. Like it was one of those. Spiral bound. It was spiral bound. Something like you do in the, in the office. Like, <laughs> We had, we still have this thing. Mm-hmm. And that thing helped us to church plan in India. It, that became a very ins, uh, impactful thing for us, how we do ministry. So when Keller started writing, his book started becoming popular, we were very grateful because Keller is not a classic Christian celebrity. He's not platforming himself to make a lot of money. I mean, I got a buddy of mine who said he lived in an apartment in New York City on one of the islands, one of the smaller islands. What's my, what island yeah. was that? 
Roosevelt Island? Yeah, Roosevelt Island, something like that. Um, but he said that in his building, he'd see Tim Keller doing his laundry in the laundry room. This guy wrote all these books, and guess what? He didn't take that money and buy himself a big old house and buy big old cars like a lot of these mega pastor chump faces do. Ayo! Sorry, no, I'm, I'm, I gotta be nice. Keller was nice, I gotta be, Jesus was nice, I gotta be nice. <laughs> Keller didn't take the money and run. He put his money where his mouth was. He loved the poor. He lived a simple life. It's hard to hate a guy like this. Um, cancer got cancer got, got him, caught him, and killed him. And this is this book is one of his uh, last books he wrote. Reason for God. What's this book about, darling? So it's really just looking at some of the major objections that non-believers have to Christianity. And it's taken from his time of ministry in New York City. And he just like basically cataloged some of the major questions and doubts that people had. They'd be like, well, I don't, I don't believe in Christianity because of X, Y, Z. And they would list their reasons. And he just takes them one at a time and looks at them, um, I think, fairly and respectfully and just talks about how these are... These are understandable objections, but um, I guess not a big enough reason to discredit or undermine um, Christian belief. And so he just goes through them one at a time. A couple things to say about your description, which is very astute. She's a smart girl. <laughs> Thanks. Um, respectful is a key word. Yeah. This is, book is not a gotcha book. A lot of people I talk to in the world, a lot of even academics, love pretending they have these silver bullets like, this one thing I'm going to say is going to tell everybody, well, I'm smart and they're stupid. Listen, there are a few silver bullets in the world. People act like they have this like slam dunk, I know this thing so I can tell you you're wrong and I'm right. Timothy Keller interacts with his ideas very respectfully. Mm -hmm. He is not, he doesn't try to gotcha anybody. He's not being mean to anybody. He's respecting those who disagree with him and engaging them as though they're intelligent, reasonable, and able to make arguments. And I, I find that very refreshing. Being like mean, I, I tend to be a mean person. And I, whenever I see someone like Timothy Keller engaging people in a way that's loving, respectful, it always, I'm grateful for it. So I'm grateful for his voice. I'm grateful for his kindness. I'm grateful for it. This book is not for Christians to be like, we're right and everyone else is dumb. Right. This, is, this is a book you give a true skeptic, mm -hmm. someone deconstructing their faith, someone who doesn't know what they believe about God. And this book, again, it's a book, and this book's not a slam dunk. It's not a silver bullet. In this book, Keller's not saying, here's all the answers. I win, checkmate, believe in Jesus. He is saying, this book has like two different, so part one's called The Leap of Doubt, and part two is called Reasons for Faith. A very, very clever uh, halves. We're doing the first half today, Reasons for Doubt. Leap of Doubt. The Leap of Doubt. The Leap of Doubt. In our current cultural climate, there is a lot of people who talk very, um, they treat Christianity like, it, like it's like this, um, it's dead. Mm -hmm. Like anyone who seriously looks at this, the, the, the scriptures, seriously considers Jesus Christ, if they actually look at it for real, they'll come to the same conclusion. And that's not, it's not a fair right. appropriation of what's actually happening. 
Um, and just that it's called part one is the leap of doubt is that he he looks at that everyone has presuppositions, basically things that they that kind of underlie what they believe or doubt. And he says it's not fair to just say, well, Christians just have faith and they don't really think it through. But if you really think about it, then then you won't believe it because of whatever reason. He talks about how there are inconsistencies in that view and that everyone at some point has to choose what they're going to believe and that there are reasons um, for that belief. I mean, he's going to get into the reasons for belief later, but he talks about how all of these, I guess, um, obstacles to faith, um, that there are answers for them, but also that, that the objections are based on kind of an underlying um, supposition or worldview. And if you look at that objectively, then you'll see that there are inconsistencies there as well. Yeah, a lot of a lot of his um, responses are going to be philosophical or logical in nature. Um, he does he deals with other things like anthropology, his, you know, historical mm -hmm. analysis, and there's even logic and rhetoric. Yep, um, like Keller is a very intelligent person. Um, if I met someone who said, "Well, this I read this book, his, his arguments are dumb," I wouldn't be mean back to them, but I would probably go, "Okay." You're not, you know, you don't have the ability to to, to engage in abstract thought, um, or you just refuse. Or you refuse to, to acknowledge the the credibility of these arguments. Um, there's seven major doubts that Keller's going to engage. For so it's, these are these are like um, things people skeptics will say to say this is why I can't believe in God. This is here's why I don't believe in God. The first one is there can't be just one true religion. So someone says, even if there is a God, some doubters might say, how can you know which God is the right one? You can't, like, like there's all these religions, maybe they're all the same, maybe there's the old Hindu story of the, the blind man and the elephant, and one thinks it's a snake, and one thinks it's a stinking house, because they're touching the, the belly, one touches a little tail and thinks it's a stinking, um, I don't know, a little mop or something, I don't know, <laughs> uh, a duster. <laughs> Alright, one guy grabs a leg, he's a tree trunk, one uh -huh. grabs a trunk, thinks it's a snake, and thinks this is us looking to God, we're blind men touching the elephant. So that's one um, doubt, is that he's like, okay, we just went to religion. What's the next doubt? The next one is, how could a good God allow suffering? This is a real doubt people have. Mm -hmm. um, what's that guy's name? Um, writes about, he doesn't believe in God anymore. Um, I don't like Which him. He, he's, I don't like him, he's an academic guy. I used to always get mad and yell at about him in the house. There's, there's just so many of these. I don't know. <laughs> Not Dan Carl. Dan Carl's my boy. Uh, he went to Moody. There's uh, this academic guy. He wrote a book called God's Problem. And in his book, God's Problem, author, I can't remember, by the top of my head, he says the reason he lost his faith, essentially, is because of the suffering he saw in the world. I knew of a young uh, pastor's kid who went to India and he wanted to drive around and meet people and love people and bring peace to tribal conflict in, in the land of India. Because, you know, that doesn't just completely smack of... Right. Uh, Western imperialism. Oh, man. So he goes... <laughs> all of your problems. He's probably... His heart was in the right place. But this, this, this American goes over there and after he sees the poverty, the brokenness of the Indian system, he lost his faith in any god whatsoever. Mm. 
because um, the problems were too big and he was so small. Mm -hmm. But this idea of seeing great suffering can shake someone. Mm -hmm. Let's say you go through an incredible painful thing where maybe someone you love dies a horrific, maybe it feels like a meaningless death. And you're like, I feel like there's no meaning in this. Where is God? And so you ask the question, how could a good God allow so much suffering? Mm -hmm. As the old philosopher once said, if God is all good, he cannot be all powerful. And if God is all powerful, he cannot be all good. Mm -hmm. And Keller deal with this head on. Yep. What's the next one? Christianity is a straitjacket. What's that all about? Don't tell me what to do. Right. <laughs> Christianity, religion, it infringes, it, 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 it cramps my style. I want to get drunk. I want to be a womanizer. And I want to beat people up when I'm drunk. Like There's what? literally a quote in here where somebody's like, I will not believe i want to live for my own sake like that was the argument it's just like, um, i want to do hey, my listen, own thing i understand that <laughs> i mean who doesn't want to say screw all my responsibilities screw everybody else it's me it's me myself and i let everyone walk to hell who doesn't want to do that once in a while um so it was like christianity um it it limits me it stops me from doing what i want and so that's one of the doubts he goes after what's the next doubt the church is responsible for so much injustice now, should we just go Someone through the doubts and not go, go the answers? Well, I don't know. Oh, man. Someone I know just wrote a paper on this. Listen, I did write a paper on this. master's thesis. Ah! <laughs> um, the church, both so much injustice. This, this, a lot of the, the four horsemen of the atheists, uh, they write about this. Um, like, um, church has been so Christopher Hitchens wrote about this, yeah. God is not great. I believe that was Hitchens. They say, look at the historical evils of Christianity, um, the church has so much injustice, it can't be a good or a good thing. Somebody said the church has brought, uh, it poisons everything it touches. Now, my professor taught, taught me very well, you don't try to pretend it didn't happen. The church has done some things. We, I mean, the church, I, mean, I can't just say it was the Catholics, it wasn't me, I was a Baptist. Now I do that, it's, it's, we're part of the same, same tree, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, the Crusades are not good, man. No. The Inquisition is not good. Charlemagne forcing the Gauls to come to Christ at the end of the sword, it's not good. These are real things that happened. The church has turned to violence and done evil things in the name of God. This is not a good thing, and we don't, I'm not going to downplay it. Um, but the church has brought good into the world, too. Great goods. If someone were to say, it's just brought nothing good into the world. What a profoundly, it shows a lack of historical knowledge of mm -hmm. what the church has done. The church has brought um, public education into the world. The church brought hospitals into the world. Church brought caring for the poor. Now, this is not a, the word we use for universal human rights did not exist before Christianity. Right. Like, if you had a baby that was a girl or was maybe uh, deformed sick, in some way, yeah. sick, you threw it off a cliff and let it die of exposure at the stinking dump. And the Christians would go and take these babies and raise them in orphanages because they believed every life was valuable. And, va and, and, and these are, they would, they would raise money to feed the poor. And these are things the church began doing just because their master, Jesus, that was his style, healing, feeding, loving. It was countercultural at the time, and that's one of his main arguments. Big in that time. chapter is that the, it may be true that the church has done those things, but 
secular cultures and societies have also done horrible injustices. And so it's not fair to just pick out the church's um, mistakes throughout history and not look at, at those of other Oh man, I mean, and governments and all kinds of things. Inquisition was terrible. Inquisition, it lasted like a hundred years. They killed like six people a year in Inquisition, which is six more people. That, that six people they shouldn't have killed six hundred people, if that's the number. I think that's the Catholic Church, Church released a number recently. Let's say it's three hundred people. Let's say it's four hundred. I don't. I don't know the number off the top of my head. I I wrote. I forgot. Wrote the paper a long time ago. They killed a couple hundred people. That's way too many. I thought it was thousands. Because it's been so blown up, the Inquisition over the, over the years. But they killed some people. That's bad. Mm-hmm. The Reign of Terror, which is the French Revolution, which is the birth of the Enlightenment, which is human reason being paraded out saying, we as humanity, we know everything, we don't need God. They cast Notre Dame down, make it the, temp- the temple of reason, right? The Reign of Terror, the French Revolution, the g- birth of humanism, in a series of like nine months, killed tens of thousands of people. Tens of thousands. And no one says, look what humanism did. Look what secularism did. Movements go crazy and do horrible things. They do. But Christianity has brought unbelievably beautiful things that nothing else before it brought into the world. They brought, in, they brought things in that before the church, like the things that we call universal human rights, most of those things, education, um, health care, um, right to not go to bed hungry. These are things that the, the church of Jesus Christ brought into reality. Before these things were not you know, human rights. Before stinking Jesus, there was two groups of people in the world. Those, the, the great ones who ruled and the plebeians who we sit upon to write. I, I shouldn't say I'm the great one, but... <laughs> The plebeians, they stepped on us to, to be the great ones. That was the two groups of humanity. The poor were there to be stepped on and crushed underfoot for the great ones to rise up and show themselves. That was the world before Jesus. So, I, I have a lot of opinions on this issue. Okay, next chapter. How can a loving God send people to hell? This is a real one. This is a, this is a big objection lately I feel like. and this is big for even a lot of christians right a lot of christians i know they're saying i, I don't like hell uh, rob bell had a book a couple years ago called love wins great title terrible book <laughs> not terrible because i disagree with it terrible because it's uh, disingenuous and it's academic ex- ex- academic it's uh, academia it's it's poor academically mm. like he quotes people incorrectly and he just he just it just, it's just not good. It's just, it's just not good. So anyways, uh, so that his book makes like doubting hell, like all of a sudden very cosmopolitan. And who doesn't want to be cosmopolitan? You know what I'm saying? I want to be cosmopolitan. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I, I wear a cross right now. I'm going to sell my cross by asking, hey dude, so I can be more cosmopolitan. Oh I'm just talking trash. Anyways, but a lot of Christians in this moment are like, how can a loving God send people to hell? How can a loving God judge people? judge sin um people will say things like uh god if god is loving a loving god cannot be judgmental this is our current moment culturally mm-hmm. and he speaks to it yeah darling face well he says um all loving people are sometimes filled with wrath not just despite of but because of their love and he talks about which actually follows well the chapter about 
evil in the world because in order he actually argues that in order for God to be loving if he's also powerful like he has to deal with evil and that that is to. actually a loving act but um, one of the quotes that I really like from this chapter is from this um, Croatian who has seen a lot of violence in his region of the world and uh, it's kind of it's a little bit snarky which made me laugh but um, he talks about he says it takes the quiet of a suburban home for the birth of the thesis that human nonviolence results from the belief in God's refusal to judge. You know, basically saying, like, why do, why do people have to be punished for being bad? And he says, in a sun-scorched land, soaked in the blood of the innocent, it will invariably, invariably die with other pleasant captivities of the liberal mind. It's basically saying, like, it's your privilege that's saying, like, why should people have to be judged? Obviously, you haven't seen real evil. Like, he's just like, it's, I don't know. I feel like that's a kind of a mic drop. He's like, mm. Listen, we live in a city of Flint. There was a kid killed over by our house just yesterday, yesterday, on Lapeer and Dort. Kid got shot down dead. And the person shot him down needs to be dealt with by the law. This is not an evil thing to judge that person. It should be. If I believe they're suffering, that people do evil things one to another. Look at Larry Nasser in our state. He's stinking. Abuse all those girls. Mm -hmm. He did great evil. He should be held accountable for that evil. And in this law, in this land where the laws of men fail often because people can afford great lawyers and afford Jeffrey Figer, Michigan and, shout out. And everybody lies. And how would, do you find out the truth, really? The fact that God in heaven is going to deal with the evil of the world, I say, Amen. Bring the darkness into light and deal with our stinking. What did he say at the end of the Bible? Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. So he deals with hell. Mm -hmm. What's next? Science has disproved Christianity. Great chapter. Mm -hmm. This is the classic. Well, I believe in science. As though that statement relegates Christianity to a corner, that, that, that believing in science somehow makes Christianity untenable for a modern person to, to accept. Listen, I've got to be cool. Did I read a book on the periodic table recently just for my personal pleasure? Yes, I did. Am I grateful for advances in medicine? Am I grateful for for archaeologists who, who uncover ruins? Am I grateful for sociologists who study the, the stink in the human psyche or, or human um, interactions, behavior. human behavior? Yes! These are great things. Learning knowledge from, from all the disciplines is a great thing. Recently, who was it? I think Bill Nye the Science Guy put out a tweet, dog in the soft sciences. He's like, I'm a real scientist. And these sociologists, psychologists are... But he's not even a real scientist. Hey, listen, don't tell him that. <laughs> Bill Nye. Okay. Bill Nye, a science guy, yo. Well, he's wearing a lab coat. Wearing a lab coat. That's science. That's a real science. Um, but it caused a big fight among the disciplines. As a believer in Christ who believes all truth is God's truth, we're allowed to learn and, and benefit from all the scientific branches. But that hard scientist, that Nye, when he said these are soft sciences because they don't have, you know, they can't experiment in a lab, him, him trying to say that all truth must be truth you can do, replicate in a lab is a very small statement. 
Because not right. all truth can be duplicated in a lab. Right. A lab cannot prove, it cannot, a lab cannot, cannot quantify a mother's love for a child. It cannot quantify, I, I can't prove Lincoln existed in a laboratory. I gotta go to his, I gotta go to his, uh, his, the lane of historians and learn from them. Mm-hmm. So, are a lot of Christians anti-science? Yeah, they are. I don't know why we're so anti-science. We don't have to be. Um, I, I think know that's kind of. I think that's been a reaction because he talks probably, about how even the scientific mistrust of religion is an enlightenment thing. Like it's it's relatively new in right. human history, and I think that the that religion has just has kind of reacted to that by being like, well, we're not the bad guys. You're the bad guys. And, Murr. And yeah. The claw. Murr. <laughs> um, got a quote for us, darling? Oh, no. Oh, sorry. Um, but he deals with miracles, resurrection. Mm-hmm. He deals with, um, Keller deals with, um, I got a lot of... Evolution. Pre- and, yeah. Evolution. And that's the main one. Evolution. Like, um, there's creation and evolution. Like, these are two radically different understandings of where humanity comes from. Um, I'm going to go fully into it because you got to read it. This book's worth reading. Mm-hmm. Even if you want to just grab one chapter that you're struggling with yeah, and read absolutely. it. Grab it. We have this book here at our church. We have it on our little, the Flint City Bookstore, you know, that shelf over on the window? <laughs> Flint City Bookstore. Yeah. We have copies of this. Grab it. Read the chapter you're struggling with. And be, inc- and, and listen, he, and Keller, one thing he does is so great. Babe, what does he do is so great? He footnotes, the, or the end notes, oh, the crap goodness. out of this book. It took you forever to read this, babe. That's I literally am flipping to the end. I have two bookmarks in this. <laughs> in the end notes for the chapter because there are so many notes. And there like there's like new information. It's not just like this is from this book. Like he'll explain things he and en- comment on he things. He engages different it's works. Fascinating. Um the stuff he puts in uh, into his works. So you can go and go even go deeper and find other books, other writings. And again that's, that's the notes. All Keller that. gives a fair shake to those who disagree with him. Mm-hmm. He's not saying they're dumb. I'm meaner than Keller is. This book is very respectful of people who disagree with him. Um, and lastly, you can't take the Bible literally. What, babe? Why are you laughing? You're already <laughs> laughing. Just because we know people who have said that in the city. Um, yeah, yeah, there's a church that used to say all the time, <laughs> we take the Bible seriously, not literally. Um, Angie was reading this. And she's just saying, this is not true, is it? I'm like, yeah, but this is true. That was, I was reading the end notes, and he's talking about some of the studies they've done, like for the... Um, the historical this, Jesus, the Jesus seminar. The, uh, yeah, the Jesus seminar, and like the, the I don't know, the, um, what do you call it? The parameters, I guess, that they used for... The criteria? For, yeah, for... The Jesus seminar is this group of, of big brains from back in what, the 50s? Um, these guys thought we're going to find out what Jesus actually probably said. So they go through and they, they parse the, te- the teachings and, and works of Jesus to see which do we think he actually said and what do we think are legends imported into the story over time. The criteria for deciding what is, uh, it was, this wasn't a textual thing. It wasn't to ask what's in the text. They're, this is, this is um, pretextual. This is like we, are, we know we have this text that's come down to us through history, but forget that. We're going to just, because we're so smart, we're going to figure out what we've really said. And the, and the criteria for doing so is uh, very, um, it leaves a lot um, to be desired. It's, it's bad science. Yeah, it's a terrible measure. It's called the double dissimilarity criteria. And they said that for a passage in the gospel to be considered historically genuine, 
Its teaching could not possibly have come from either first century Judaism or from the early church. It must therefore contradict what we know about the dominant beliefs of first century Judaism or Christianity. So they're saying like, in order for this to be proven to be biblical, it has to not agree with any other <laughs> beliefs of its time because like it's not it just is so dumb because it's implying that jesus couldn't have been influenced by, by jews Judaism. or romans right. or, or greeks that the early church could it just it it's silly <laughs> it's just it's flat out silly and keller says it nicer than that but um yeah, yeah, it was somebody goes they didn't believe like, this i'm like this oh is, yeah they did baby it's just it's silly there was a color coded bible where they're like he probably said this no way he said this it was a it was an impressive exercise in um, being so smart. You <laughs> classically missed the point. Right. Um, I'm a mean person. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Jesus, I'm in our people. You're awesome. Let's let's talk some day over topics. Uh, a portion of the Bible they proved <laughs> was true, even with that terrible criteria. And yeah. So our point is of this reading this book. If you have doubts, if you've heard some skeptics trash Jesus, trash the Bible, and you wonder, can the Bible... People sometimes say, I learned this new information. This new truth came to me, and I, I doubt whether Christianity is true. Let me tell you let me tell you something real quick. It's not new. These objections to the Bible have been around for hundreds of years. And people have been looking at them and, and asking hard questions. And intelligent people have both left their faith, and joined the faith. Mm -hmm. It is not anti-reasonable to be a follower of Jesus. It is not, it's foolish, because, <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm going to die to self and be someone else's servant. It's a foolish way to live. I'm going to be someone else. I'm, I have a master who I'm going to obey forever. It's way easier to be your own master and to, you know, be selfish and lazy and yell at everybody else that's disagree with. But, um... Even that, though, he talks about how a lot of the people, I won't get in, into all the stuff, but he talks about how that leads to so much lack of purpose and fulfillment, and, and um, it leads to, I don't know, I guess a lot of unsettled discontentment, um, because people think, well, I'm going to live for myself, and then I'll be happy, and then they find... It doesn't work. You no, know, because living for yourself, man... I don't know. There's problems there too. <laughs> yeah, there is. It's a profoundly lonely way to live. Again, I can't remember all that. So, anyways, it's a good book. It is. We recommend it. I, I listen. Highest recommendation, darling. What do I recommend it? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's a. It's a, it's so, there's so much content here. Like, it's a primer on philosophy. Like, there were different chapters. I was like, oh, this reminds me of something my philosophy professor said, you know, freshman year of college. Or then, it, you know, he would get into other things. I was like, oh, this reminds me of my Civil War class. And, you know, different, it's like, it just, it boils a lot of those questions that you, um, that people wrestle with um, in college or wherever, you know, when they encounter difficult questions throughout life. And it just boils them down it distills them um it looks at them yeah i think fairly now we're not saying this book proves jesus 
He's not trying to. I mean, he's not trying. He's especially just trying in this first half. The he's leap of doubt. Like, he's, he's saying, just showing yeah. the problems with those questions, I guess. The question, yeah, the questions, some of them are problematic. Even with mm-hmm. the question saying why there's so much evil in the world, he's saying your belief in evil already is a step of believing in a right and wrong, and that's mm-hmm. a big deal. Yeah, where that's, does that come from? Where does that come from? Where do we get the idea of justice and fair play? Where do these ideas of universal human rights that we all claim to? Where does that come from? There's nothing universal about them. To quote the Marquis, to quote the Marquis de Sade, "Love is a purely Christian heresy. It has no place in nature." <laughs> Man, Marquis de Sade, you a messed up psycho. But you write about that. Um, so, it's a book worth reading. I'll be encouraging again. We're not trying to. We can't prove Jesus, but the people out there walking around like they can prove that he ain't there. They ain't right either. Their simplistic declarations of rightness. One of one of the stances that I really appreciate that he takes here is that he points out that a lot of our questions assume, like even when you're talking about the blind people looking at the elephant, he's like, the problem with that is that you are assuming that you are a non-blind observer and that you can actually see the whole picture. And I think that's a lot of a lot of the problems that you know people are like, well, I have this question, and it's because I can see everything perfectly and clearly, and no one and, can, and no one can, and so it's like you you need to at least acknowledge um, room for doubt in your doubts as well. Like you dang straight, yeah, baby, you can't see everything perfectly and clearly, and why would you assume that you should be able to figure out all the answers and understand it all? It's so we like books. This is a good book. We'll be back here in like two weeks, a good part two, which are some arguments for God. Some, some, some like here's some things that make believing God, like how you explain it otherwise. So that's going to be in two weeks right back here on, a little, on our Flint City Church channel. Uh, we'll get it scheduled so you'll know when it's happening. And there's a fly buzzing around my head and I don't like it. All right. Well, um, I remain Ernesto. I'm still Angie. And we like books. <laughs> See you next time.